It's a small wonder I'm able to do what I do for a living with this one thing that is the nemesis. It's the bane of my existence. Hey, this is Michelle Spiva, and I want to welcome you to Wisdom Smack, where I go through lessons, laughter, and even some stories and talk to you about what, it, what life is like and what I've learned after being a solopreneur online in this digital world for well over 10 years. So come on in and let's get started. So my name was not called. I sat there on the gymnasium floor, uh, cross-legged, Indian style like everyone else. And I looked around and I noticed that the people still sitting there on the floor with me were all the people who I didn't expect to get in. But of course, certainly not me. Certainly there had to be a mistake, right? This is a recounting in a story of when I was a kid and I was trying out for uh, a little school uh, dance team that would dance with the band and, and things like that. And it was junior high. And um, I had been so excited to go after this and get it done. And uh, we went through a whole week or two. I can't remember if it, how, but it was more, it was at least a week, I'll say that, of uh, learning the dance routines and all of this. Now, prior to this, I had taken dance classes all the way through from um when I was a small kid, like even before going to, to first grade. So I was not one of those, oh, I'm going to dance. <laughs> no, I had actually taken dance and uh, I thought was fairly proficient. I caught on to the choreography. I did the routines. People told me how great uh, my dance technique was and all of this kind of stuff. And yet I did not get called as one of the girls who would go on to be a little dancing star in front of the band. And I could say a lot about my takeaways from why I thought I didn't get picked, but it, you know what? That doesn't matter because that's not the star of this particular uh, podcast. No, I want to talk about this nemesis who moves in the darkness and the shadows who haunts me throughout my life. This same nemesis was there when, as a high schooler, I ran for student council president. And I remember I was running against uh, someone who seemed to be lackadaisical, blase about it. I spent hard-earned money campaigning and I went and I did all the smoothing and I attached candies to my buttons and my uh, uh, kitsch that I was giving out and the other person did basically nothing I just knew I had won so when the day comes and the it's announced not only am I not elected but because I had given up to uh, given up my my student council seat to run for president, I was no longer going to be in the student council period. So I think I know that I wasn't in um, 
senior high yet. Um, but this was ambitious. And both of us were in the same uh, grade. I think we were sophomores or something like that. And it had gotten to the point where only the the brainiacs wanted <laughs> to run the student council. And I figure, let me get in and I can have a dynasty and I can run this thing for the next three years. I've got a few years experience from having been on it. I get, I, 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 like I said, I did my campaign and all that. I didn't win. I'm in disbelief. I go to the person who did win, which is the person who did hardly anything. And they act like, eh, okay, cool, whatever. I was like, well, what are your platforms? What are you this and what are you that? And I will be honest and say that this person was well-liked. They were an athlete uh, and all of this. They had none of this stuff, none of it. And so being the aggressive sort that I was at the time, I was like, well, if you don't want it, you know, you can just seat it over to me. I dragged this person to the the school office and said, well, they don't want to be uh, the president and they've agreed to give it to me. In my mind, I was totally within my rights. I was totally because I wanted it and everybody knew I wanted it. I was like, okay, it's done. I, I'm skipping a loo. I'm happy. I go home. My mom is like, I got a call from the school and I need to talk to you. And when she got through with me, I was so embarrassed. I, I didn't even, it had not even crossed my mind that I was way out of bounds and that no one wanted me or if they did, they would have voted for me. There was no problems with the voting. They just didn't want me. Now, I can go on and on about situations that are similar to this one that had the same emotional impact. But I just want to talk right now about that bastard rejection. Yes, rejection. I want to talk to you today because here I sit now many, many years, many, many suns, moons, whatever you want to call it, past then. That's neither here nor there. Just say, suffice to say, I, I've been in this game for a while. And I wish I could tell you I have kicked rejections, but I really do wish I could. But I cannot. Alas, I cannot. And the funny thing is, is when I look over what predicates me being able to make a living and take care of myself, I find that yet again, I have positioned myself to have to deal with rejection on a daily basis. Now, as a writer, as an online uh, coach and trainer, I am relegated to the opinions of people, whether warranted or not, drive-bys, they can do anything. And there are two books that um, I kind of want to give shout outs to right now that I have consulted for solace, for, um, for ammunition, for whatever it is. <laughs> uh, you know, so I want to make sure that I am giving you guys some of the tools that I have had to deal with to help me. And I'm not saying that these are uh, is an exhaustive list. I'm just saying that it is what it is. So here you go. One of them is a book called Rejection Proof. And it's uh, written by Jia Jing. And uh, it's um, it started from a blog where he had gotten rejected and he went on the offensive to try to deal with it and get over rejection. Now, I love the book. I refer the book. I, I have nothing but good things to say about the book. But when it comes to Ja and me, I'm like, that's good for you. And I'm glad you got over it. But I, I, I didn't. And I have to wrestle with this beast daily. 
And you know what, you guys, I, like I said, I really wish I could tell you, oh yeah, I have slain that beast of rejection. No, what I have done is where Zha Jing is rejection proof, I've become rejection flexible. I'm talking about matrix bends here, y'all, where when rejection comes, I learn how to bob, weave, serpentine, move. Yes, because rejection always has this effect where when it hits out of nowhere, because that's how it does for me, uh, it hits with a sucker punch and it sidelines me for a minute. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things I have used to try to work through it, but I'm not finished with, with dragging rejection for filth. So y'all just deal deal with it for a few more minutes. Let, let me get this out. You know, this is this is this is therapy for me, y'all. Okay. So rejection. When I am looking at what I do uh, for a living and how I am as a person, I have to be honest and I have to say that rejection has molded it. Now it might be the same for you. I don't know. And if it has, God bless you, because I know that can be real hard. Um, But rejection is that nemesis of mine that, first of all, I never seem to see it coming because it's not like I'm going up to people and saying, hey, do you like me? No. I'm not going to say I'm a coward, but I am going to say I usually take the... uh, easiest path and I just put my stuff out there and I'm like okay here it is hopefully the people that like it get it and the people who don't keep moving and that it becomes invisible and I still I still have rejection finding me I'm talking about those drive-by rejections where they don't even hardly read the book and they look at it like meh it sucks you know I'm talking about when I have spent months and months putting together curriculum that I know changes lives because people are taking it and it's changing lives and other people say, yeah, I already know that. You know, I'm like, well, keep it moving and keep it to yourself. (laughs) You know, those types of things. But when I look at this, I'm like, there must be a reason for this. And so the reason why this is fresh on my mind is because I am doing some new projects and of course I have to go through that proving ground where (laughs) my rejection level uh, or the probability of rejection is raised because I've got to get feedback from JoQ Public anyone out there who could do whatever they want to say whatever they want to and I'm sitting here left holding the bag so yeah it happened (laughs) <laughs> I was trying to brace for it. And you and this, the, the, the sad part about me is I'll do stuff knowing that I'm going to get rejected, trying to gird myself up, get myself punked, you know, spunked and ready for it. And when it comes, I still am like, <laughs> you know, crying or whatever. And I'm like, this is crazy. Now, I am going to go on a limb and I'm going to say that I don't let rejection totally put me out the game because if I did I wouldn't be here I mean and I'm serious I wouldn't be here not you know let alone doing stuff I just wouldn't be here and I'm not gonna even say that I am the queen of rejection nope because I know that when I look at my actual life I have been accepted way more than I have been rejected and yet and still rejection tries to set up residence in my life without paying any kind of bills around here So this 
is part of me going through my what I call my rejection protocol. Now, because I have chosen to be in a an industry where people review what you do, give uh, reviews, references, up thumbs up, thumbs down, and your livelihood can depend greatly on that. I figured, you know what? I might have something that can help you if that's something that you're trying to do too. Now, it doesn't matter. Even if you're just dealing with how to deal with rejection just in daily social interaction and stuff, I think that this will help because, hey, I continue to still be able to do stuff, even though when it comes to being rejected, I'm especially sensitive. So <laughs> here goes. Um, one of the things I, I also want to say about the Rejection Proof book is that when I was reading it, I was reading it because I did not want to write anymore. I was tired of spending so much time and, and giving up what coughing up along, I thought, to produce these these books and give people the best that I possibly could, spending money up front to try to get it as perfected as I could, and then people still trash it and poo-poo on it. And I was trying to figure out how to rebound from that. I had people saying, well, you're looking at that one when you got these 10 over here that say they like it. And I just was like, I've got to stop focusing on the rejection or I'm going to continue to get more of it. So I, I like I said, I got the book um, Rejection Proof by Zha Jing. And I read it and it was really good and I enjoyed it. But I came away still unfulfilled. And that was because just like me, Zha Jing was rejected. And that set his journey of trying to make himself like Teflon, rejection proof. And so what he did was is he instigated all of these predicaments to put himself in where he would be rejected. That's good. That's well. But for me, I had to look at the fact that my rejection is not because I'm controlling it and putting myself in situations all the time as much as sometimes it's like I'm just living me and unsolicited stuff, not even around my books or whatever, you know. And so I was trying to figure out how to get around that. Now, I'm going to share a little something here and it's vulnerable, so so just bear with me. Fast forward if you need to. But I'm going to say this. One of the, the things that is really perplexing to me is that I am very shy when it comes to social media. I do not like it. I don't like it. And the funny thing is, is when people meet me in person, they're like, you are so sociable. You're talkative. You're funny. You're engaging. I like being around you. Why isn't this part of you on social media? And it's because I don't like it. I, I'm shy about it. And I don't like the rejection from unqualified rejectors. People who can see a picture of you and just slam on it. Not that I'm saying people do that all the time. I'm not. Uh, but just any kind of manner of thing. And so because of that, I got this other book by John Rons um, Ronson. And it is called So You've Been shamed and it is about how to deal with shame ridicule rejection 
in an age of social media where it is global and anyone can pile on and do what they they want. And so I read that book and I'm not going to tell you his um, resolve to help. I can tell you it really does help. Um, But I think you should, you know, if you're interested, just get the book or uh, look at some of the summaries. But he talks about different situations of people being publicly shamed. Uh, Some of it was well, well warranted. And then some of it was like, oh, okay, they were just being idiots. And so we, he takes a look at people who have said stuff, tweeted stuff, done stuff, um, and how the shame just piled on. And I was like, I don't think I've had a big gaffe like that. You know, I've not made it to the annals of uh, global shame. And I hope I never, ever get to that level. But it did help me because I felt like I am not crazy. This stuff is lethal. And so I want to talk about a little something in the book that he talked about. Okay, so, and I'm paraphrasing a lot of this, and it's been a while since I read the book, so it might be a little fuzzy, but this is my takeaway, okay? I'm not saying that John said this, I'm saying this is my takeaway. So he talks about um, public shaming in the society and why we did away with the practice uh, back during the the days of the colonies here in the young Americas. If you're listening from across the world, um, I'm talking about the uh, the public stocks where they would take a person who had done something, whether it's thievery, adultery, lying, cheating, whatever, and they would put them in these stocks, which their head and their uh, wrists would be... um, enclosed in this this wooden contraption that would keep them mobile and they would have to stay there for a certain amount of time now this is the part that really struck me and that was that they found out that doing public shamings for these lower crimes did more detriment to the person's psychological and physical well-being long term than if they were dealing with someone who had done major crimes. And so they eventually did away with the public shaming. And I can see that. I definitely can see it because it does have lasting invisible scars that a lot of times never heal. You know, so of course, with my therapy background, I tried to start doing a little work and talking with some people about it. And like, why do I seem to have this unhealed, a never healing wound when it comes to this area of rejection? And I mean, we're working through it. There are things that I'm working through. And you remember, I tell you, this is my vulnerable part. But yet and still, there seems to still be a higher than normal sensitivity to when rejection comes or even the hint of rejection. I have bowed out of doing things that I knew I could do because I didn't want the possibility of the rejection because it's like, you know, right now I've got a lot going on and I don't want to have to try to battle through this on top of all of that. It's kind of like, I'm like, I'm in maintenance mode. I don't have a lot of mental or emotional bandwidth to deal with the rejection. So I'm just going to sit this one out. And I can see where it has affected my choices and my trajectory of where I might or sort of could have been had I not been so affected with how rejection happens. So like for me, when I get that rejection, it's kind of like a double whammy. It's the reject me and then 
a huge sense of embarrassment comes. I mean, it comes in waves to the point where even if I think about the situation, my body physically shudders when the recollection materializes in my mind, in the privacy of my thoughts. It's that powerful. And so I'm like, what the heck is wrong with me? So I kept hitting this wall early on in in life and I had to figure out a way to deal with it and my first response to it in the immature fashion was to hide and become visible invisible and I still find myself doing that and so when I do I try to root it out and say okay don't hide get out there take your lumps take your bumps and grow But then as I continued on, I then built up this shield where I'm like, nothing can, you know, harm me, aka the rejection proof. And that didn't work because it was just a facade that if you hit it and ram it hard enough, it's all going to come crumbling down. And I had no defenses after that. And it was going to be just as bad as if I had never done anything to try to grow from, learn from, and uh, be better when it came to rejection. So after going through these books and growing (laughs) as an adult and having rejection over and over again and understanding that no matter how I try to diminish it, it's still going to have an effect on me. Instead of trying to rejection proof myself, I decided that I was going to build a protocol to become rejection flexible. I'm talking about Matrix where he bends back and avoids the bullets. That's what I'm talking about. So in my quest to become rejection flexible, I personally went through, remember I told you I worked with... um, therapeutic models, journaling, getting feedback from colleagues and from friends uh, about me, because this is about me. So I went through and I developed a quick little protocol. And I'm going to recall it. It's this is not etched in stone, but this is usually the process that I tend to go through when I'm feeling rejected, when something has been said that is not flattering, uh, when I look at a review that is affecting my income because someone just flippantly put a one star up without any kind of whatever. I don't like it. I don't like the pictures. I don't like the cover. I don't like the character, whatever it is. Um, This is what I do. So number one, I give myself a specific short time period to go through unedited, full on reaction to the rejection how I want to. And at first I used to say one minute. But I was like, that's not going to work because in the one minute I was just getting started. And so then I would end up languishing in this rejection uh, aftermath for days. So then I said an hour. Well, that was too long because it still helped me to feed that woe is me kind of stuff. So I backed it down until I found my sweet spot. And my sweet spot, are you ready for this? My sweet spot is five minutes. Five pure minutes of uh, crying, uh, throwing snot, being upset, woe is me, I suck, and all of this. Now, I do want to say something here. For me, I had to realize uh, what some of my issues are. Uh, There was a wonderful program I went through when I was doing continuing ed credits for 
my therapy side and we learned uh these four karmic truths and they say you know truths because it's it's based in spirituality so this is not uh scientific it's just you know bear with me and so there are four karmic truths that people tend to deal with in some combination or one maybe over the other but i know my combination and it has served me well and therefore you you'll start to see how my protocol for becoming rejection flexible started to happen all right so i'm going to get into that and i'm going to do it after the break so you guys stick around when i go into those four karmic truths and how i was able to continue to make <laughs> my uh, re uh, rejection flexible protocol all right All right, and we're back. So those four karmic questions that I learned and when I was going through this uh, training, it, 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 it broke uh, a lot of things down for me. Uh, and so I've been using it from here on and I've actually done trainings for other people who have, have gotten great results by going through these four karmic issues, truths, whatever you wanna call them. So let me go through them real quick. Number one, the first one, and it's not in any kind of order, it's just the way I'm taking them. So number one, resistance to life. And this is what they call divine homesickness, where you can't really get committed to um, being in this so-called life. Uh, a lot of times they say people who have quote unquote death wishes or who are uh, ambivalent to life's whatever, they can't commit. They have problems committing to things, people, um, their 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 word anything you know um a lot of times they use words like i'm just so over this i'm tired of this i can't go on with this this is too much um they almost if you kind of try to look at them in a different realm it's like they've got one foot on the earth and another foot somewhere else where they're like i said they're not fully committed to this and so they call that resistance to life um You'll know that you're having a karmic issue with resistance to life when you kind of like see these cycles of being euphoric about something and then losing interest with it and ready to move on. Uh, now, that's not across the board, but a lot of times that's kind of some of the resistance to life issues going on. Now, it does not mean that you have a physical death wish, although sometimes it could, but it doesn't. Um, a lot of... Um, the aftermath of resistance to life is where people have these either inferiors or superiors, meaning that they are uh, prone to De, um, debilitating activities, whether it be overeating, undereating. They have a lot of times, remember I tell you, they have this... Um, uh, this inability to really commit so their relationships suffer and it's not just physical relationships with people it can be a relationship with your food a relationship with money either you have a lot of it you hoard it or uh, you don't have a lot of it or is always up and down sometimes you have sometimes you don't uh, with the food um, sometimes you overeat sometimes you you undereat um, sometimes people with eating disorders can fall into this um, remember that underlying resistance to life here issue so the next one 
is uh, the victimhood. Now, I will say this. With the victimhood stuff, a lot of it, it has been exacerbated or intensified by just the way society is set up, especially in the family and the, the nuclear family unit of how people become codependent. So if you're looking at the victimhood um, karmic issue, we have t- we have new terms for it. Like I said, we have toxic relationship. We have codependency, codependency um, where because you are doing a transactional kind of relationship and don't real maybe not realize it you do stuff for people and then you have a problem when it's not reciprocated back to you uh, because the only thing you can think of is is I showed you my love by all the stuff I did for you and when the other person is saying I never asked you to do that and you have a problem with that that's codependency that's toxic relationship and that's actually transactional relationship And so that's part of the victimhood. The other part of victimhood is where people have this martyrdom where they feel like no one has it as bad as me. I don't understand why everybody else in life has it so easy. Nothing ever came easy for me. I had to work for everything I get. And you have to be careful because in this one, whereas you have the resistance to life person who really can't commit, they really, they're not. They're not really trying to be all in the stuff with you. The victimhood people can be pretty harsh in uh, their persecutory persecutory natures. They can be like, um, well, buck it up, buttercup. You know, I had to do it. Nobody gave me anything. And and so they can be a bit rigid when it comes to compassion for other people. Uh, there's quite a bit about the victimhood mentality, but suffice it to say, they have this um, entitlement where they believe they are owed something based on their existence that I have this hard life and you owe me <laughs> and and but the thing is is they have a blind spot just like the resistance to life people all of them have blind spots but they can't see it like this they can't see that everyone has a hard way to go what might look easy for you is that other person's cross to bear or burden to carry because they didn't come here with the tools necessary to equip themselves to do that. So a lot of times, uh, victimhood people, they can have three, a triune kind of personality where they are the persecutor. They have no compassion for other people who don't buck it up. Or they have what we call the victim. Help me, help me. Don't you see I need the help? And they feel entitled. And then they have this other one that a lot of people don't realize that is part of the victimhood, and that is the rescuer. They always want to rescue someone, but lo and behold, they rescue you. And if you are not beholden to them and you don't show uh, your thankfulness in the way they think, then they can easily turn into the persecutor. And so that's the triune personality of people who are dealing with that karmic debt of uh, victimhood. So then we move over to the third one, which is the self-identity. This is the person who gives away personal power. They are always looking for a way to be led, even when they don't think they're doing it. They're the person that they will go to the ends of the earth as long as they are being held accountable by someone else. There is this other book by Gretchen Rubin called The Four Tendencies. And she talks about the four tendency types. And I really gravitate to that because my grandmother had a similar theory. She just didn't articulate it the way Gretchen did. That always amazes me how uh, universal truths come to different people in different ways for different times. And so I was very familiar with my grandmother's take on these four tendencies. And she would actually say, 
people tend to. My grandmother would teach us, if you want to know who a person is, don't look at what they do, look at what they tend to do. You know, so she really did even kind of say this, say similar words. But with Gretchen, you can actually take a free online test for her to figure out what type you are. Now I'm going to just cut to the chase and tell you I'm a questioner. But just point blank, I'm a, I'm a strong questioner. And what Gretchen says is the four tendencies that people have and how they view their life is they're either um, a rebeller, you know, they rebel against life. They question, meaning that it has to make good sense and you have to give them a good reason for them to agree to this. Not because you said it, but why? You know, they ask why. My mom said, Took me a long time to talk when I was a kid, but when I did, my first question was, what means this? She was like, I came out having to know why. <laughs> you know, I'm a questioner through and through. Um, and then you have your um, obligers. Now this, uh, Gretchen says, this constitutes the majority of the population and the obligers of these people that I was talking about in these four karmic debts, the third one being um, self-identity, tell me who I am, um, obligers, tend to need to be uh, connected to others to find the meaning of who they are. They tend to do better in group support. They, um, their karmic question is, tell me who I am. They don't come here understanding truly who they are. They don't have a sense of that. So a lot of times you can you can see a person who has the self-identity issue. They go on a lot of quests. They are um, forever trying to, they become lifelong lear- learners to learn more about themselves, looking for the next thing to put in um, the puzzle pieces to, to form who they are. Now, I'm going to say this. None of these are totally bad. They're just things we deal with. And you can be one, some, or even all of them. And I'm not trying to be, you know, confused. And I know I'm running through this, but I wanted to give you guys this in this section so that I could just really kind of deal with it and get you to the other side of why I'm telling this story about my rejection flexible approach to things. Okay, so recap. We have uh, resistance to life folks. We've got victim folks. We've got self-identity folks. In the self-identity folks, I talked about Gretchen Rubin's book, The Four Tendencies, and I talked about uh, three of them so far, rebellers, people who don't, they, they can't do it because you said it. Sometimes they can't do it because they said it. They just rebel. Then you have your questioners. Uh, we don't like arbitrary points. We don't like you just saying you have to do this because that's not good enough for us. We have to know why. Then you have your obligers. These are the people who have to have accountability to others and they define who they are based on their interactions with others, the value they give to others, and that's how they define themselves. And then the fourth one, um, this is the s- smallest part of the population. And these are the upholders. These are the people who are staunch um, people who, and when I say staunch, I'm not talking about necessarily their personality, although it can be kind of rigid, but they're going to do it because it is what it is. Uh, If you say uh, the job starts at seven, they're going to be there at six, 630, and they're going to be at their desk engaged and ready at seven, whether you're there or not. They're the kind of people where if it's a snowstorm outside and folks are saying, don't come in, they're going to find a way to get there because this is what it is. So these upholders have an internal north node that keeps them on their journey no matter what. Like I said, they're few and far between, but they are the workhorses. They're the people who kind of like keep the wheels uh, churning and going along. They are doing stuff when nobody's looking and when nobody will ever find out. And so, but the thing is, it's like 
the victimhood folk, you find a lot of upholders have that victimhood kind of um, karma. They can be very persecutorial. They can look down on folks and judge people by a strong and, and rigid stick. Okay. So we have our identity people. They like, and I don't say they like, but they tend to give their power away to people who they believe have a better understanding of life than they do. They love to seek out professionals, experts, and they are always on a quest of self-actualization. Okay. So then the last one of the four karmic debts is uh, worthiness. And this is the person who has divine exile. They feel some kind of way. They got kicked out of a good situation and they spend their life here trying to prove that they are good enough to get back to this utopic, euphoric um, realization of what they can be. Now, the un the worthiness people tend to be hypercritical, eagle-eyed critical and the reason why is because they are so good at it and seeing it in themselves that when they see it in others they have no problems pointing it out the worthiness people a lot of times are going to be your know-it-alls because they really do know it all they study because they don't want to be found not knowing they are not when it comes to being boastful about stuff because they don't want to be called out on their crap. They don't want to be exposed for not knowing what they know. And so you find that a lot of worthiness people have a judging kind of personality uh, trait to them. And not necessarily for others, but they can be really harsh on themselves. This is where a lot of your perfectionists live. This is where your people who have a fear of being seen live in this worthiness issue. Now I'm going to cut to the chase. Like I said, I'll be vulnerable. I don't have any problems with that. My karmic issues are resistance to life and worthiness. Now you talk about a problem where you've got someone who feels divinely exiled and divinely homesick. Come on now. <laughs> and thus, when I started working through this with therapists and other people, and like I said before, I had to try to figure out why does the rejection hit never heal? And having this resistance to life stuff where I can easily be dispassionate about stuff and be like, I'm over this and leave it. But also having this need to be worthy uh, and studying and growing and, and, and always seeking out and, and all of this kind of stuff, it was causing major havoc. And I'm like, why in the world would I... I pick the profession that I'm in having these issues. And on top of that, being a freaking questioner has my tendency for for even why I'm going to do anything, you know, I, like questions. We don't we don't really make a move until we have done our research and we are convinced that this is a good thing to do. You know, so like I said before, I was going to bring this around so that it makes a little more sense why I tend to want to do rejection flexibility instead of rejection proofing. Now, if I had to go back and say, based on the four karmic truths and those four tendency personalities that I just talked about, I would say a person who is able to be rejection proof is going to be a, 
hate to, I, I never like this category, but the victimhood people. These are the people who be like, well, it's not my fault that you don't like me. You know, that's your fault. <laughs> they tend to be a little easier to do that. And um, sometimes if you're just dealing with resistance to life, you can be like, look, I'm over this. You're causing me too much drama. You got to go. And they can shut that down too. So the resistance to life and the victimhood people tend to do a little bit better. Bit better. Um, the worthiness folks and the self-identity people, forget about it. We will hold that that cross till it disintegrates with age. We'll be like, you don't like me. Oh my God. <laughs> you know? And I say that because if you are a person and people say you have this need to be liked and I don't understand it, you're probably falling in one of these other categories of the karmic debt of self-identity. Tell me who I am or worthiness. Let me prove how, how good I am. You know, and you might be dealing with somebody who is a resistance to life person or who is a victim person where they can rescue you, persecute you and become a victim right along with you all in the same conversation. You know, so those are some of the things that you're possibly dealing with. Now, remember, I said my combination, you can be one, two, three, or all of them. My combination, my lessons, my karmic lessons, I tend to be learning in this lifetime are getting over resistance to life um, and, and trying to latch on to and have purpose and have passion. One of the kisses of death to tell someone who has resistance to life issues is that, oh, follow your passion and you'll be fine remember we straddle the line we don't really have a passion about anything we float too and if something fancies us we'll go and we'll explore it and the sad part is resistance to life people we usually tend to be really good at the stuff that we try out but that doesn't equate to passion and so we'll be like oh, okay I've conquered that I'm ready to move on you know so we tend to look a little fickle you know <laughs> but then on the other side like I said my um unworthiness stuff that side of me digs down deep like a hedgehog like going deep because I I have a quest to know and I have to get to a place where I can be okay with it uh, before I move on so you know like I said before there, there are those two bookends of those karmic debts that I, I I wrestle with so now back to this whole rejection thing for me I had to develop a protocol and so because, like I said, I'm a questioner, I have to dig deep, I study, I have to know, but then I have to make sure that I don't just give up on it because I'm tired of it, you know, and, and disappear. And that's why I talked about being invisible as my go-to. And, and the thing is, invisibility is different from not being there. Invisible, you're still there, you're still in the game, but going away, you're like, I'm just done with it. So for me, and my resistance to life issues, invisibility is my coping mechanism not to give up on something when I'm no longer tied to it, emotionally invested in it or whatever. And so when I go through the rejections, I give myself five minutes, five minutes, which proves to be enough for me to be able to be okay and, and work through it. And I go through that full gamut. I let my worthiness issues show, honey. I look at oh I'm not good enough oh I messed up you know my perfectionist needs come through I'm so embarrassed I should have caught that I should have known this I should have known someone would see it this way or that way and I let all of that out and then after that 
the next thing I do after I give myself that that five minutes, if you will, then I move on to looking at how I, me personally, remember this is my protocol, how I can take the good out of it. So I then start, you know, looking at what are the lessons? Because that's my questioner, growing, learning and becoming better. What are the lessons? Did it have any merit? Did it have any truth, any wisdom to it? And only take that. My model for that is eat the fish, leave the bones. And so I start dissecting it to look for the useful stuff that I can use to get better and to move forward. And then after that, (laughs) so that's my number two. After that, once I've done the five minutes and then I've started looking for the useful stuff, then I start looking for a way to not leave, not want to move on. So the first two, I'm dealing with my unworthiness stuff. The next two, I'm dealing with my resistance to life stuff. And so on the third one, I am looking for how I'm going to continue because my knee-jerk reaction is, oh, you don't like my books? You don't never have to see them again. And (laughs) I won't write. And so because of that, I remind myself, this is resistance to life. Don't do this. Don't be fickle. Don't sever the connection to what you've been working hard for. Keep it going. And so it usually looks like this. It usually looks like me going back through. And sometimes I have to actually count the four and five stars as opposed to the one stars even though I know for every I think for me like every 30 five stars I get one one star y'all don't please please don't try to go prove that and give me uh, bad stars on my stuff because you know I'm not above praying for your demise no I'm just playing Uh, but what I'm saying is is that um Sometimes it takes me doing that. I know it's petty, but it's part of my process. You know, you can call me a petty princess. I don't care. It's part of my process. And so dealing with that to not throw my hands up and be like, forget y'all. I'm, I'm bouncing. I'm out, you know. And so then after that, once I've done that part to say, you know, stick and stay. We're not going to give this up. This is not a lost cause. It doesn't matter if I'm not feeling this anymore. I'm going to continue on. The next thing I do is I make a commitment to keep going forward. So for instance, there have been times when after I have counted the five stars, you know, as opposed to the one or the two star or whatever, I then have to go back and I have to find a way to reconnect. And that means that my resistance to life issue is saying, you're tired of this. Why are you putting up with this? We could be doing something else. There's so many other things that are interesting, you know, interesting that we've not checked out yet. Let's just move on. I then look at the relationships of those who know, like, and trust me, who have been there for me. And I remember that I have a connection to them, uh, my fans, my readers, my students, my colleagues. And so therefore I stay in the game and I become flexible knowing that, yes, I've been rejected. Yes. They, this person didn't like it. And so, uh, some will, some won't. So what? And so in my fourth part, I'm looking at the some wheels and I'm like, this is my tribe. These are my people. I might not be feeling worthy. I might be feeling rejected. I might be so over this. But because I said 
I would when I started this journey. I have a commitment to be in relationship with those who know, like, and trust me. So I have to be here and I have to be in it. And that is how I become rejection flexible to get the lesson, move through it, understanding what my karmic debts are so that I can work through them and do it this way. Now, if this doesn't resonate with you, take the others. If you figure that you are, um, say for instance, you've got the victim stuff and you find that you can really have no sympathy for people when they come for you. I'm talking about you can take someone down, you can read them for filth, drag them, whatever. It might be that your protocol looks a little something like where you don't go on the offensive and you attack them. You learn to be able to understand that like Dr. Brene Brown says that everyone is doing the best they can with what they have. This is a paraphrase. This is not exactly what she said, but this is how I take it. You know, that when people react to you or act upon you, they're doing the best they can in their I, you know, in their own mind. Yes, even when they're dragging you, talking about you, doing crazy, mean stuff. Sometimes it just boils down to them being so miserable that they need to find some type of uh, activity to make themselves amused. And you just happen to be uh, the dish of the day, you know. Um, so if that be you, if you are a and I'm doing this one, these these two off the cuff. But if you uh, find that you have some issues, your protocol might be don't get lost in the rejection. Don't let that define who you are. Don't let that take your steam away for doing what you need to, because guess what? Some will, some won't. So what? Just because some people don't like what you're given doesn't mean that others won't, but don't cower and turn away um, in, um, in, in, in deep pain where you'll only do something if, if, if enough people co-sign on it before you put it out. And I have actually seen this. I have seen people who will put things um, in, in, you know, like Facebook groups and until they have hopped to and acquiesced to a myriad of opinions that are subjective at best, they end up with some type of bland, safe something, and then they put that out there and it might do okay, but it could it, it doesn't do as well as it could have if they had trusted their, their themselves and their intuition to go with it and be willing to run the risk of a little bit of rejection. Okay, now I hope this is helping somebody out there that's listening to this. I know this one has been a long one, but like I said, as I am starting to get my groove and find my voice here and, and looking at what can I share from my heart to yours, that's going to help us both become better. These are the types of things that are coming up for me. And that is that we have to deal with rejection. It is part of our life. And it doesn't matter if you are five or 50, you're going to have to deal with it. And each time it comes around, you might not be ready for it. So why don't you go on and start looking at maybe getting a protocol to handle it? Because especially with the kind of uh, ways we're moving and having to interact with each other, people are becoming less and less uh, tolerant, less and less compassionate, and thus the propensity to be rejected knowingly or unknowingly is growing exponentially by the second. You know, if you don't believe me, just go into Twitter for even five minutes and you'll see it. Okay. And I always, I always look at the fact that, you know what? Hey, you guys, somebody is on the receiving end of this tweet you just sent. 
How would you like to be on the receiving end of that? You know, the golden rule is it's, it's tarnished right now. I'm not going to, you know, keep keep harping on that. But I'm just going to say that <laughs> rejection flexible is my normal for handling what I do in this life, not only in my business, but in my life and understanding that because of who I am and my makeup, this is what works for me. And so I'm going to repeat them real quickly. So the first thing I do when I face rejection, which is normal for the kind of work I do, is, <clears throat> excuse me, I give myself five minutes to wallow in the full extent of the emotional impact. After that, the next thing I do is I take the time to look through it as objectively as possible and learn something from it because I have that need because of me being a questioner and that uh, unworthiness issue to, to, to be better and to be more perfect. Then after that, I move into what was required for my resistance to life issues. And so I start to look at um how I'm going to move past this and stay connected uh, and not just be like, whatever. And then the last thing I do is I remember the people who are there for me and I strengthen by force of will sometimes my commitment to be in relationship with them, seeing as my resistance to life a lot of times uh, manifests itself through me being over something and just moving on and not not staying in, a, in, in any kind of committed interaction for long term. And so that's what has worked for me. Now, the books that I talked about and I mentioned in this podcast, I really encourage you guys to get them um, in the show notes. I'll try to see if I can get you the links to them. Um, if you can't read them, just do the audios. That's how I prefer it anyway. Uh, John Ronson, So You've Been Shamed. I think it's So You've Been Social Media Shamed, but I'll have that in the notes. And then for uh, Rejection Proof by Zha Jing, uh, how he went through a year of putting himself through the paces to become better at accepting and living with rejection. All right. This has been Michelle. Thank you so much uh, for spending your time with me. And I really appreciate you very much. If you would, please like, subscribe, comment. You can even leave me a message through this uh, platform. And uh, depending on your messages, I might play them and, and answer them. And if there is something that you'd like for me to, uh, to take a look at, drop that in the comments as well. Thank you so much. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. I'll see you tomorrow. All right. Thanks. And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. This has been Michelle Spiva. Thank you so much for joining me. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and even comment on some of the Wisdom Smacks you have going on in your life. And or even if there's something we talked about today that you especially enjoyed. And don't forget to pass it on and share. I'll talk to you later. See you on the next time with Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. Bye.